welcome. Welcome to the Night Watchman Cricketing Podcast, a podcast for the cricketing connoisseur. A cricketing podcast that looks specifically at the ongoings of the pro-tier cricketing team, both home and abroad. Uh, we'll be looking at not only the pro-tiers in international action, but also considering some of those uh, former South African players uh, now playing their trade elsewhere in and around the different cricketing leagues around the world. We'll be focusing on the England tour that's coming up towards the back end of this 2019 calendar year, as well as the immediate prospect of a cricketing tour to India, where the pro tiers really came short last time around. We're going to talk about the uh, incoming new uh, pro tiers uh, coach, Enoch Enkwe. What's his background? Where's he from? What's he offering the team that was different to uh, Otis Gibson, the outgoing coach? We're going to be talking to Ken Borland about the uh, the hopes and fears of the pro tiers going into India on the back of that hugely disappointing uh, Cricket World Cup. So there's lots to look forward to, lots of content for you to get involved with. We hope you enjoy. So it's a Sunday afternoon. I've got Ken Borland on the line up in Joburg. And uh, Ken, we were supposed to be recording this an hour and a half ago, but we've just watched one of the most remarkable days of cricket, or the end to one of the most remarkable days of cricket you'll ever see. Not so. Absolutely incredible. You know, being at the World Cup final is now, well, at, uh, over a month ago, thinking that, you know, you'd almost seen it all. You know, how could Ben Stokes possibly top what he achieved on, on that day? And then just today, I mean, just the most incredible innings by the by the guy and uh, amazing finish and, and just shows you that, you know, test cricket can really bring up situations and uh, and matches that none of the other formats can. And, you know, today, what, what made today, I think, so special was at the start, it was just incredible test cricket. You know, the first four overs of the day were maidens. It was a real uh, challenge for the batsmen. And then as the day sort of grew and, and the, the, it ebbed and flowed, it, it really became like a one-day international at the end there uh, with Stokes, you know, batting like he did in the World Cup final. So just an extraordinary uh, final day of, of Test cricket. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the courage and the execution, and there was certainly a man for the big occasion. I mean, really remarkable stuff from the man. He is, you know, um, I remember... Well, it would have been on, on probably the previous England, England Ashes tour to Australia when they left Stokes out. Um, he'd had a, a bit of a poor tour of the subcontinent, uh, battling against spinners, so many guys do. And he came to South Africa with the England Lions team. And they played a, a one-day game against SAA in, in Mamalodi. And he scored a double hundred that day in a, in a 50-over game. Right. And I just thought, jeepers, you know, this guy really has... Um, extraordinary talent. How on earth can England afford not to have him um, in the Ashes squad? You know, not just his batting, his bowling as well. Um, but it was inter- interesting today to hear Shane Warne just talking about how he's never seen anyone train harder than Ben Stokes. So, yeah, I heard him. I've heard him say that a couple of times in this Test match, and uh, certainly yeah, yeah. There's, there's something about the, the was it the luckier the, the more I train and the harder <laughs> I train, the luckier back, I get. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's the thing that, you know, he's undoubtedly a hugely gifted guy, but works hell of a hard. And, and then the other thing, which I'm not sure how much you can train and, and how much you're just born with it, is just incredible mental toughness and the ability to stay calm under pressure and have that clarity of thought um, and enormous courage. You know, some of the risks sure. he took this afternoon were, 
just extraordinary. No, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about Ben Stokes and the Joffre Archers and Joe Root and his captaincy. Uh, in the coming in the coming episodes, uh, as we work towards the uh, exciting incoming tour um, of England towards the back end of uh, this 2019 calendar year, for the benefit of our listeners, Ken, uh, this is our first uh, episode between of the Night Watchman Cricketing Podcast. You and I have been talking about this for quite a long time now, yeah. and um, for the benefit of the listeners, uh, tell them tell them about yourself, Ken. Who are you? Where are you from? And what have you been? Uh, what have, what have you been doing with cricket over these uh, many years that you and I have known each other? Yeah, well, I, I think I've always just loved cricket. Um, had an absolute passion for it. You know, when I was when I was 13 years old, I, I read a Wisdom Cricketer's Almanac cover to cover, um, <laughs> and that, that included all the school averages at the best. <laughs> so, <laughs> a, a little bit fanatical, um, and uh, you know, I. I, I Played, um, I suppose, at a at a reasonable level. I um, played for the Maritzburg Varsity Second Eleven when the whole First Eleven all played first class cricket. Guys like John T. Yeah. Rhodes and uh, of that ilk. So, um, but I was never going to really make it as a cricketer. So, did the next best thing and and became a cricket writer. And uh, I've been writing cricket since 1992. Started at Natal Witness. Uh, then moved on to an agency and we, we uh, did a lot of work for Reuters, the BBC, uh, various magazines. Um, I've had stints with the Pretoria News. Uh, I'm with The Citizen at the moment. Basically, I've, I've uh, written for all sorts of publications and magazines and done radio work. And uh, including writing for the Wisdom Cricketers Almanac. So, Absolutely. Um, that, know, was that was a obviously a great... Very special. A great joy to get my to get my name in that book. Did you read that one back to front, uh, Kenny? <laughs> <laughs> not 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 yet, Pete. But I I, I did uh, <laughs> proofread my own article a, few, a couple of times. <laughs> and Kenny, all-time favourite cricketer? Well, probably my first real sort of um, hero was Vincent van der Bell, the uh, wonderful oh, diamond, the tall in South Africa, six foot eight pace bowler. And, um, you know, I'm five foot two, but it didn't stop me from trying to model my bowling action on his. Um, for some reason, it didn't quite work as well as it did for, for Big Vince. <laughs> no, he was a magnificent uh, bowler. I mean, any, any of Mike Brealy's uh, books and so forth and reflections talks about his diamond. Uh, Vincent was time in there in Middlesex was obviously an absolute joy uh, to have been part of that. So, yeah, lovely, lovely uh, reflection on a great cricketer. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just, you know, Vince, I firmly believe, is, is one of the greatest bowlers South Africa have ever produced. Mm. Um, obviously, due to isolation, the international stage didn't really um, get to see him much. And, sure. uh, you know, after his playing days, he, he became a, a very respected cricket uh, administrator, was the RCC umpires manager. Yes, that's um, right. That's and I've right. had the privilege to, you know, meet him a few times and... and He's a very forward-thinking guy when it comes to cricket and um, just a very enjoyable guy to talk to about the game as well. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. So, Ken, let's start with the World Cup. Uh, you were there. Uh, you travelled travelled the country on a bit of a World Cup tour, uh, following the pro tiers around. Uh, I think the uh, would be really interesting just to take some of your reflections on that. Firstly, in terms of the tournament as a whole, it seemed to be a big success, certainly looking from... Uh, 
<laughs> watching on the TV. Um, and then we can talk about the pro tiers, which I would, from certainly from what I was watching, was less than a success. Uh, <laughs> perhaps your two your reflections on both those those aspects. Yeah, you know, the tournament as a whole was was a great success. I think you know the English always when they host something, when they put something on, they, they generally do a really good job. Um, it was a pity that the tournament wasn't on free-to-air television until the final. Yeah, it's a big issue. So, you know, traveling around England, there wasn't that much awareness of the tournament until it got to those sort of final stages. But, you know, thank goodness England did make the final. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And uh, had that incredible day at Lords, And just for the general public to be able to, to see all of that, you know, and... and you know, we to to speak to guys at local cricket clubs, um, hugely passionate about the game, Fantastic. but just struggling to grow the numbers, and and you know, it's a hell of a difficult balancing act that we face in South Africa as well. The whole pay TV, free to air. Well, we've seen it with uh, football under, right now, not so. Yeah, exactly. So they've got to find a middle ground because you you know you've got to grow the game, you've got to take it to the masses, but realistically, your skies, your super sports. They pay top dollar because they sure. they want that exclusivity, and and it's that top dollar top dollar that funds the game. So another debate for another time will be the Mzanzi Super League. That yes, of course, you and know once again once again it's going to be given to SABC for nothing for free. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, great that the masses will be able to watch it. But uh, Cricket South Africa could really do with the money as well. For, for sure. And I think we'll talk about that in some of the episodes to come, specifically around where are we going in terms of the administration uh, of the game. I mean, it's interesting what you're saying about uh, the, you know, the England getting to the final and doing, you know, being such a big, important part of, of the tournament success. I mean, if, if I think back to 1999, um, England were out before the, I think it was the team song was released or the World Cup song. Uh, so no sooner had the thing got going. Um, so it just shows you how you can capture the imagination, similar, I guess, to the 2005 Ashes. And days like today, you wonder how, you know, that whole catalyst of the World Cup success for the team, as well as days like today, which will go down, I guess, in the same annals as uh, Botham's Ashes in 81. Um, these are very exciting times for English cricket in, in spite of their inconsistency. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it's, there's something about summer in England, and it, it, it is, you know, I know India have an argument that, that they're the home of cricket just in terms of numbers, but so England are also the home of cricket. You know, there's just such an incredible passion and love for the game there um, and let's hope that they can keep building on those numbers and, and keep that passion there because let's be honest world cricket I think needs a, a good strong England team as well 100% and, and can you some thoughts on the grounds that you travelled to what, which was the most enjoyable of the grounds in terms of the colour the carnival the, the fun um, versus the sort of the impressiveness of the lords as the home of cricket just some thoughts on the grounds themselves yeah yeah, the, the first thing to say is, is just how well organized everything is at the grounds, how spectator friendly, um, wonderful sort of hospitality areas, mm, um, mm. you know, food and drinks areas for the, for the fans. So they just seem really all very well set up to cater for, for crowds coming to watch the cricket. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed my, my first time in Cardiff. I thought that was a, mm. a really beautiful, beautiful stadium there on the on the River Swalik. And uh, the, the riverside up in Durham was a, was a yes, real eye Yes, yes, my, my, my hometown ground. Exactly, <laughs> Pete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, um, 
you know, it, it was obviously helped by the Proteus fortunes turned around a bit once they went up north. But, um, you know, the weather down south for those first couple of weeks was a bit inconsistent. There were, we had almost a week of rain. Uh, there was a lot of cloud. And then once you got up north, though, it was beautiful blue skies and uh, just Durham itself, the whole area around there was beautiful. really beautiful. Um, you know, a place like Edgerston is, is a state-of-the-art modern stadium. Uh, very impressive. And, yeah, you know, it, it was nice to see Lords just relax a little bit um, <laughs> for the World Cup final. For break, uh, break, break out of the, uh, the, gin, uh, gin, <laughs> the gin and tonic. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just loosen that tie a little bit in the, from the nice. top button. And nice. it, 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 it was a tremendous atmosphere at Lords. For you sure. Know, for it, sure. Uh, it is still a very, very special place. So, if that was the tournament and the stadium that you toured, Ken, let's talk about our pro tiers and uh, where did they come short? How how was it uh, that they came so short? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, we've obviously had a, a bit of time to mull over things and and think about all the things went wrong that went wrong, and I, and I think, in my opinion, it, it basically boils down to the pro tiers put all the eggs in one basket. Um, which was the fast bowling basket. And, you know, there were, there were a number of times in the build-up where the batting was a concern and, and they were asked about it and, and Otis Gibson was adamant that, you know, we've got the bowling attack to defend whatever we get with the bat. Mm. And it doesn't matter, um, you know, whatever the batsmen do, uh, the bowlers can make up for it. You know, if, if, We've got the bowling attack, he said, to to always limit the opposition to less than 300. Um, which that works. You know, that works in the assumption, Ken, that of course the uh, you've got fit bowlers to use, right? Well, absolutely. But <laughs> but even if you do restrict sides to 250, if your batsman can only make 230, um, it's not really helpful, is it? So, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was just, you know, I, I, I believe that the great thing about cricket is is that it's a game of balance. That the team that is the best balance, the team that, you know, there's batting, bowling and fielding and, and certainly batting and bowling have to both be good if you're going to be consistently successful. And I think South Africa just didn't have that balance. It was just too much emphasis on, on their fast bowlers and that that's what's going to win us the World Cup. You know, you've got to have batsmen who can, who can also perform at the same time. And then, as you say, especially when uh, a couple of your fast bowlers are injured in the first week. Um, you know, you, you, you've got to have plan Bs. And I, th- I think that was my frustration, Ken. I mean, as, as a, a real novice or amateur watching from the side, it, it really struck me is that it was, it was such a one-dimensional setup. Mm-hmm. And that if you rewind to probably the worst of the one-day international defeats uh, last year to India at Newlands, um, it was remarkable to me that when we lost to New Zealand in the World Cup, if I'm not mistaken, all, all but three players um, from that really poor performance at Newlands um, were in the team. And I just I had to ask the question of, you know, what have we learned? Is this really the best that we've got? And as, as you say, the ability to adapt to circumstances. It wasn't even, I, I doubted plan A. And as you say, there were, it didn't even seem to be plan B, C uh, or anything of playing to the conditions and adapting to um, the circumstances, just like we've seen today. Um, in this test match uh, up at Headingley. 
Yeah, you know, a, a lot has been spoken about and a, a lot of criticism fired Fafti Pussy's way mm. or mm. his comments about um, just treating every game as, as any other game. Mm. Um, we must just do the same things that we've done before that have brought us success, you know, not to think of it as a, as a must-win World Cup game. And it, it, it was interesting uh, to hear Kane Williamson say very similar things with mm. New Zealand. But they too have the same approach to, to just focus on, on doing what they've done before that's been successful, to not build the games up too much. So I don't think that's necessarily, I, I don't think the approach of the Proteas mentally was necessarily wrong. But the one thing where I, I think they did um, straight badly, of course, was that, sure, do what you've done in previous games. You know, draw on that. Don't build it up into, you know, you've got to do something entirely different because it's a World Cup game. Mm. But it was almost as if they tr they were trying to convince themselves that there was no pressure. When of so course, a lot of this the players, is the <laughs> yeah, we, we'd hear things like, no, no, there, you know, there's no pressure. We're just going to go out and play our own games and do what we've done before, which is a nonsense. I mean, you can't, you can't pretend that there's no pressure when you're out there, you know, on, in the international stage in, in a tight game. And it was interesting that Virat Kohli was asked, you know, a, a question at, before the start of the tournament about, you know, Virat, India are going to be hugely dependent on you. You're the world's number one batsman. Uh, everyone's looking to you to, to yeah. win the World mm -hmm. Cup for India. Is there, is there a lot of pressure on your shoulders? And he was like, yeah, it's no problem. That's what I want. He said, that's that's, that's what I, I thrive on. Yeah, yeah he, he embraces it. He that's he what much like Ben Stokes today. They said it. He wants to be the main in man. that in a in that really extremely tight strengthener moments. That's what he that's what he lives for. Whereas South Africa, too, too many of their guys seem to want to avoid pressure. You know, to to not talk about it, to say no. You know, we it, it's only pressure if you let it be pressure, you know, things like that. Sure. And it was interesting that, that one of the guys who had a different approach and, you know, was probably our, our, our best player through the World Cup, Rusty van der Dussen. Absolutely. He, quite early on in the piece, um, said, no, there's always going to be pressure. He said, you can't hide mm. away from it. There's always mm. going to be pressure. And I enjoy it, you know. That's that's what I enjoy. It's, it's almost that. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, so, you know, South Africa need to find more cricketers who have that approach, who actually really enjoy the pressure moments, who want to be out there, and who are at their best uh, in, at, at those moments. The, 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 the likes of the Mark Bouchers, the Lance Kluzners, those are the, those are the players that come to mind when you talk about those uh, tight, tight situations. Exactly. Uh, look, I mean, to be fair, both of them, you know, messed up World Cups as well, so... Yeah, no. It's, uh, this is a rhythm we seem yeah. to have got into, got got into in South Africa, and it's a problem. And I do, I think you you think you're hitting some issues there uh, quite smartly on the head. I mean, it was also of concern to me that throughout the entire sort of last eighteen months, if not two years, in the preparation for this major ICC World Cup tournament, Otis Gibson, Faf, and whatever, really seemed to, as you say, downplay the importance. And certainly, Otis, I think, misread. The, um, the demands of the South African cricketing support base of, you know, there is an expectation that we win this tournament. Uh, it's not a right, um, but there is an expectation. 
Um, again, maybe your thoughts well, on Otis is things autonomous. Yeah, I mean, it was extraordinary to hear Otis at the end of the tournament say, um, maybe I didn't realize just how important it was for South Africans to win the World Cup, which I found a staggering thing to say. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, when he signed his contract, he, he was left in no doubt that, you know, he was going to be judged on the World Cup performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he argues that he never said in his contract that he had to win it. Um, but I think the point always was that he was certainly going to be judged on the World Cup. And, you know, obviously in, in, in one day cricket, the cycle is such that, that that's what you're planning for. That's got to be yeah. Yeah. the end point. That's got to be what you're working towards, trying to make sure that that is when your players peak. That is when your team is at their best. And we saw that in England. I mean, they're meticulous planning. They went through some hard times, but they set up a path. And they said, at the end of that path, this is how we win the World Cup. And they saw it through. And sure, they had a lot of luck, but, you know, they won it in the end. But, I mean, can you mean that, that, that what England demonstrated very clearly is over a four-year period, you can turn around from being arguably the worst team in the tournament down under four, four years ago to uh, a respected and worthy winner uh, in spite of the luck that came their way uh, four years later. So it can be done. Absolutely. I, I mean, by saying England were lucky, I, I just mean, you know, obviously the circumstances of the specific final. Oh, but, sure, sure. But, I do believe they were the best side at the tournament. I think they were the best balanced team. Um, and, and overall, you know, they probably played the best cricket. So no problems there. And you see, it takes, you know, a guy like Andrew Strauss, a, a great cricketer and a, and a great thinker on the game, who sat down four years ago uh, with some other people and they decided that, you know, this is the course we have to go on. Do we well, have those just- same sort of figures in South African cricket who can dictate the course, you can plot the course, you can say in four years' time, this is where the game is going to be, this is what we need to do to win. And, you know, I'm I'm a bit concerned that, you know, we we look at the the decision makers at Cricket South Africa, and uh, apart from Corey Fonsale, who's the um, acting team director director of cricket at the moment, you know, in, in the senior management and on the board, there's no one, there's no one who has any international experience, you know, let alone first-class cricket experience. It needs that vision from the top, from the administration. I think the humiliation of England being so far off the pace four years ago, the realisation that they had to change the, pretty much the uh, entire playing staff, bring in um, big hitters, um, whether it be the Roys and the uh, Butlers and uh, Bairstow seem to have found his form, Stokes comes into play. And all of a sudden it starts to work. And I think that has been um, the, it wasn't just they were the best team in the tournament, but arguably over the last two years or so, England have been the team to beat in terms of ODIs. I think their record has shown that the consistency and a build, build, build mentality towards a big tournament uh, is going to pay dividends. Some would argue, I guess, that that emphasis on white ball cricket has cost England in terms of their consistency with red ball and the test match. And we've seen that over the last couple of tests. Uh, in spite of today, um, there has been inconsistency, but it can be done. And I think that's what is a fear factor from where I'm looking now as to where are we going? Yeah, you know, England England went into the World Cup as the number one ranked team. So yep. that, that points exactly to what you're saying, that they, yep. they have been consistently the best team and, and they lived up to that ranking. And yeah, it, it definitely starts at the top. Um, 
but you know, in England's case, the administrators went, Andrew Strauss, you've played 100 odd tests. Sure. You've played more than 10 years of international cricket. You're a former captain. We're empowering you to make that decision. And obviously, he had other advisors and, and sat sure. down with other people. And that's fine, you know, but, but so but who is I'm our director of cricket going to be? Who, yeah. who, who, who is going to be brought in my cricket South Africa? Um, to make those sort of massive decisions. Because unfortunately, at the moment, you know, former players seem to be turned away by Cricket South Africa. And a lot of them don't want to be involved with Cricket South Africa anyway because, um, you know, of all the shenanigans that go on in the boardroom. Sure. And, you know, they, they feel a little unwanted, to be honest. Well, uh, you know, for, for what it's worth from my side, the man of Graham Smith, uh, that's a name I would want to throw into that hat. Uh, I mean, I, I think what he did for South African cricket, together with Mickey Arthur during those restructuring years after Sean Pollock were quite remarkable. And with that sort of foresight and his his uh, leadership qualities um, in the boardroom, I think would be uh, a great thing. But that's my own sort of personal thoughts. Let's talk. Well, I, for, well Peter, I agree with you. I sorry. mean, I, I think spot on. He's... He's the man who, you know, immediately springs to my mind sure. uh, for that sort of director of cricket role. Um, just two possible stumbling blocks. Can cricket South Africa afford him? And uh, will they allow him the freedom and latitude to do his own thing? You know, and unfortunately, yeah. you know, at, at, at the press conference where Enoch Inquire was, um, oh no, sorry, at, at the press conference where the new system was explained, Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the CEO saying things like, "We, you know, myself and the board, we want to get more involved in the culture of the team, the playing style of the team, <laughs> like that, which have got nothing to do with the suits, really. I mean, completely. I mean, that, yeah, that's the director of cricket, and and from him down. So, you know, if, if Graham Smith's going to have to work with a CEO who's interfering like that, who to to you know, to be fair." The difference in cricketing sort of uh, intellectual property between Graham Smith and Tamang Moreau is, is, you know, it's a massive gulf. Sure. So why would someone like Graham Smith want to put himself in a position where he's going to have to debate and argue with, you know, with the CEO for things? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, that's an interesting segue then, Ken, into the whole new structure that's come on the back of the World Cup uh, failure. And uh, we, as you, you've, you've already alluded to the fact that uh, Cricket South Africa have appointed uh, Enoch Enkwe uh, onto the, um, as the, what's the term, the interim team director. Uh, so this is not a, this is not, this is not the coach like in Otis Gibson's role. So I'd be interested to understand from you what is the di- differentiation between this new role and the coaching role. And I mean, what do we know about Enoch Enkwe? I mean, I, I remember him as a, as a cricketer for the Gauteng Lions. I think he had about a seven-year career, scoring 300s in that period. He's 36 years old, so he's, he's, he's a youngster, and he's clearly done very well in his first year of coaching the, uh, the Gauteng franchises last year uh, in terms of his first season. So, I mean, what's, what, what's your thoughts on, on, on him? What do we know about him in more detail? And your first impressions through the press conferences that you've attended where he's spoken? Yeah, so, so first of all, just to um, provide a bit more detail uh, in terms of the job definition, the, the team director is, to all intents and purposes, the head coach. He does have a few more sort of managerial uh, responsibilities. So what they've done is they've done away with 
the team manager post, which Dr. Mohammed Musaji filled so it's well. So many for, years, uh, yes, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah, for, for the better part of a decade. So now the team director is also in charge of things like um, the admin staff of the team, the physio, that sort of, uh, not so much the physio, but, you know, the, 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 tech, the um, technical advisor, the, mm. the analyst, those sort of things. Right. The, the director of cricket, I guess, does overlap a little bit in the coaching world because he will, he will decide on, on more sort of general things like style of play. Um, he, he will have a big say in selection of players. Right. Um, you know, so there's a bit of an overlap uh, between the, the two of them that the head coaching responsibilities fall sort of in between the two of them. Right. Um, Enoch, yeah, you know, he was a, an all-rounder um, as a player. Um, just was just seeming to to make a breakthrough at franchise level. Uh, he scored a hundred in the last game that he played for the half-up lines. Right. And then it it was the last game of the season, if I recall correctly. And then in the off season, he suffered a, a freak accident in which he sliced his wrists. Okay. Okay. Um, and it actually caused nerve and muscular damage, such that his he's got partial paralysis, in fact, in 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 that one hand, right. and he can't really grip the bat properly anymore. Um, so at the start of the next season, he he was trying to come right. He was hitting a lot of balls. He was, but he just couldn't play to the level that he used to. Uh, so quite sadly, you know, at a pretty young age, he had to give up yeah, on playing yeah. professional cricket, but. He always had an eye on coaching, which he then threw all his uh, effort into. And, and you know, having spoken to the guy at length and, and knowing him fairly well, he, he's a real natural at coaching. He's a He's got a tremendous manner about him. I think he's a great man manager, uh, a really deep thinker on the game. And so, you know, he, he did a fantastic job with the half-out lines last Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Turning things around in, in one season. Here's Enoch Enque talking about uh, the challenge ahead and the benefit of having worked with uh, a number of the players in his days as support uh, through the South African A side. Having worked with some of the players at SAA level, it does make uh, a massive, massive difference. Uh, having worked with some of the players at SN19 as well, the likes of Sorabada, Quentin de Kock, um, uh, Dean Elger, you know, I've worked with them at SAA. So already, it puts me in a better position. Um, um, you know, those players do understand my thinking and how it works. So, uh, going on this tour, yes, it is going to be tough. I do, I do admit to that. I do understand that. But, um, uh, but like I say, I look at every, every, you know, every challenge you know, as an opportunity. So, um, and I'm very grateful for that. So, yeah, you know, I've been there. I've been there in in India before uh, with the SAA team. It was very tough. And there were some some serious learnings from there that we we can actually take it into. So, and some of those players were part of that that tour, you know, um, a couple of years ago. So, um, I'm extremely looking forward to this. I do have a few worries though. You know, I think he is still, no matter how well he did, he has still only coached at franchise level for one season. Yeah. And I think he's a tremendously talented coach, most promising coach we have in our system, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a bit younger than your Mark Boucher's and your and your Ashford Princes, and I'm just worried that he's going to be thrown under the bus. Um, this certainly seems to be one of the thought the, the the 
thought pattern out there, reading some of the media, uh, uh, some of your colleagues in the cricketing world seem to be suggesting that. You know, India is the hardest tour to go on. He's going in, in a rebuilding team, no Amla, no Stain. Um, and it's a very unsettled team at the moment. Sure. So it's a hell of a task to do well in India. And, you know, we got hammered there last time we played there. This could be the same. And I just hope no one blames the coach for that. Uh, Corey Fransau, the, the, the acting director of cricket, assured me that no, he won't be judged on this tour. Yes, I understand. Uh, so. Definitely going to look after him. Here's what Corey Fansale had to say about uh, judging uh, Enoch Enkwe on his uh, maiden tour in India. And exactly uh, his point was that he will not be judged um, based on that incredibly tough assignment. Firstly, we need to make sure that Enoch is uh, equipped with a support staff that is uh, going to assist him. Um, people that has uh, been to India before understands what it takes to... Uh, to perform under those conditions. Um, so we are working tirelessly with Enoch on that, um, making sure that we have the right support staff form for him. Secondly, I think from a Cricket South Africa perspective, we are very aware that this is an interim position um, and that one cannot be judged on one tour only. It would be very unfair um, to judge a person only on that. So although there's a, a process that needs to be followed, um, in order to uh, appoint the, uh, the, the, the team director going forward, I don't think that one performance can, you know, ultimately influence um, the, the decision of um, appointing the full-time director. But, you know, if South Africa do get absolutely smashed in India, we, we know what the South African public is like. Um, they love scapegoats. And, uh, you know, a 36-year-old black African guy who's coached for one year... Um, it's probably going to be an easy scapegoat. So that, that's what just worries me a bit. You know, I, I think Cricket South Africa had the opportunity to choose someone more experienced. Um, you know, I see Vinnie Barnes is going on the tour anyway as, as bowling mm -hmm. coach. You know, they, they could have made Vinnie the head coach. Um, sure. He's got more experience. Certainly he's long um, overdue. Yeah, you know, and, and he doesn't have as much to lose, if you like. Um, as Enoch and Quay. And, and, you know, by all means, you know, bring Enoch into the system because he is a mm. tremendous coaching talent. Talent, um, yeah. Look, he, he, he's very positive about this. He, you know, quite rightly said, if he didn't think he could do it, he wouldn't have taken the job. Uh, he's got a real can-do attitude. Um, and I think he's the sort of guy that, that will empower the players and the players will rally around him. And, uh, you know, obviously I wish him every success. I, I, I hope it goes Absolute, well. Absolutely. Yes, indeed. I mean, I think for all of us, you know, are, are hoping, for, hoping for the best. And, mm. you know, in terms of Enoch and his staff that are going out there, including the players, I mean, I think we've got what Lance Klusen is also in that, uh, in that coaching setup as well as, my mind's gone blank, the fielding coach, yes, Justin Ontong. Jesse Ontong's yeah. back, which, which might surprise a few, given the very poor fielding performance that we saw at the World Cup. But nevertheless, that, that's the, the coaching team that's going across there. Yeah, I think it's important. That, that there's been quite a lot of uh, commentary about Lance Klusen. It's important to note that he's just going for the three T20 internationals. Oh, it's just the oh, T20s. Yeah. Okay. So it's a okay. very short-term uh, appointment. And I do know that Enoch is, is looking, um, in terms of a full-time batting coach, 
maybe not even going a full-time route, that there's a thought that um, New Zealand are in Sri Lanka at the moment. And what they've done is they've hired Tilan Savarira, the uh, former right. Sri Lankan batman, who uh, seem to record it pretty well against the Proteas um, more often than not. Mm-hmm. They've hired him to be like a batting consultant in Sri Lanka for New Zealand. Okay. And, you know, it's a good argument that, that you get a guy locally who knows the conditions inside out um, and who, who can probably provide a lot more insight to the batsman about how to play in those conditions than, say, someone from South Africa, as, as good as he is. Sure. Um, you know, you're going to be in India. Why not get an Indian, a, a former player, to, to actually just do a spot coaching a stint and, and consult? So I think that might well be what, what Enoch's going to do, certainly for this tour of India, uh, given that they haven't appointed someone for the test yet. So, I mean, Ken, we, 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 we're going to touch, we, we, in our next episode, we'll go into some of the depth around the uh, India tour that's coming up. I think it's the T20, that's the T20 uh, series starts on the 15th of September in Durham Salah, and then the test series uh, on the 2nd of October. And here's an Enoch Inquiry talking about the whole question of balance uh, in the team, how important that is in terms of preparation for such a, an important tour as India. Just talking from my experience in a as a professional cricketer, I was an all-rounder, so I'm always pretty much open to all departments, and that's that's pretty much how I've been leading the sides over the years. Really understanding um, different departments of a team. Um, I'm more of a obviously you know structure and a drive, create some sort of a, a culture, and environment that you know the, every single person can really thrive in in a team. You know so. Yes, I will have support, you know, to cover every single department, um, you know, and, and my job also is going to make sure that, you know, I get the best out of every individual and also you know, empower those those individuals, uh, the support staff, the coaching staff uh, in those positions. Um, so I don't really see myself um, one-sided. Um, you know, I've always, you know, I think my playing experience has really played a big part in, in, in my mind and emotionally as well to be to be well balanced and tackle every every facet of, of the team. So we'll at the next episode go into the sort of the formats and the expectations around that. But for the moment what we do have is the test squad and the T twenty squad. And there's some interesting headlines uh, if you look not just at the new players that are in the squads, but in terms of some of the leadership issues. So maybe you just want to talk us through the T20 squad first, which, interesting enough, is being captained on this tour by Quinton de Kock. Yeah, Quinny, uh, Quinny has been the, the sort of limited overs vice captain uh, for a little while now. Um, and, you know, Corey Fonsal said that there's obviously a 20, uh, 21 RCC 20, T20 World Cup coming up. So mm-hmm. the, the planning is starting for that now. And, they want to look at a few sort of new players, younger guys in the mix. Uh, Fuff is definitely still available for, for white ball cricket. And that is good you know, news. Yes, I think so. Absolutely. You know, I would certainly like to see him, uh, captain South Africa in that T20 World Cup coming up. Um, so, you know, I think quitting it's, it's just a, a stopgap measure. Give Fuff a bit of a break sure. uh, from the T20s. You know, we're not going to learn much if he plays in those. And uh, to see some other guys uh, in those positions. And, 
you know, good to see Rassi van der Dussen. Vice captain. His, his, yeah, his leadership qualities uh, being acknowledged with the vice captaincy. Uh, you know, it, it certainly came to loud and clear at, at the World Cup. You know, Rassi, as young as he is in terms of international cricket terms, um, that there's definite leadership ability there, and, and he's he's very rapidly become one of the leaders in the team. He's a real voice leads of reason. By, leads by example, huh? Yeah, stays calm under pressure, uh, got a really good cricket head on him, and, and he's an experienced guy. So good to see him in the leadership race. Uh, of course, Temba Babuma, vice-captain now, uh, for the test team, that's a, also a very interesting appointment. Um, he's obviously close to Enoch and Quare. Enoch and Quare mm. made him his high-fold Lions captain, and they worked very well together. And uh, Timber did a great job uh, as high-fold Lions captain. Um, it, it's always been thought that Aidan Markram was kind of the heir apparent, uh, certainly at, at test level. So there's an interesting little race for the captaincy developing, if you like. Uh, for when FIFTPC does finally call it a day, I think I think it's a good thing. I think you know the idea of a number of people putting their hands up for for that position when FAF does decide to call it a day. Um, and I think you know I've been an admirer of Temba Bavuma and the way he's gone about his his business uh, since his debut. Um, I think he needs to cement his uh, spot there in terms of the the batting. Um, I think we're looking for some good scores from him there in India. But I'm absolutely delighted to see him both in the T T20 squad um, as well as the uh, vice captain uh, in the Test squad, uh, vice to cap to, to Faf. Yeah, absolutely. The, the more leaders you have, the better. No, no question about it. And uh, you know, just on Temba, I think it's a very important couple of years coming up for him. And I'm hoping that he that he really you know takes it to the next level, steps up and and becomes um, you know really dominant sort of international player that. That he's hinted that he's got the ability to become. For you know, sure, I, for sure. I know he's lacking hundreds and, and his averages in the 30s, but just when he has scored runs, the situations that he's yes, made. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's one of those guys who the tougher the situation, the better he seems to bat. So he, he's made a number of absolutely crucial innings. So hopefully now he can cash in on some of those starts. Look, all of our South African batsmen for the last two years have suffered because of the pitches at home, um, which have been really difficult to bat on. So all of their sure. averages have taken a bit of a knocker. And it's been especially hard on, on guys like Bavuma, Kenneth Deprain, um, those sort of guys who, who are trying to establish themselves at international level. Uh, Timber selection for the T20, very pleased with that as well. Um, he's always felt that He's been typecast as a test player unfairly. Mm, he's always mm. felt that he, he has. He's, he's had a made big role to play in white cricket. And I mean, that, that 100 he scored in the T20 domestic final at the end of last season just showcased exactly, you know, mm. what he's got in terms of white ball cricket. He's got all the skills. You know, he's not the biggest hitter around, but he can clear the boundary. You know, some people level that criticism at Rassi van der Dussen. He can't clear the boundary. Well, he hit the most sixes in the Mzanzi Super League. <laughs> So, you know, just because a guy is technically correct and, and plays classical shots doesn't mean he can't clear the boundary. You know, so so I, I always think that if, if you're a good test player, uh, you can adapt and change your game to the white ball format. And I'm looking forward to Timber showing that uh, For sure. in both ODIs and T20s in the, in the next couple of years. 
And, and Kenny, in terms of uh, Enric uh, Nokia, finally gets his chance, obviously missed out, very disappointing circumstances uh, from the World Cup. Um, he's in both squads, both the T20 as well as the Test squad, if I'm seeing that correctly. Yes. Yeah, that's right. You know, Dale, Stamen, Dale Stane's retirement from Test cricket uh, has obviously opened up a gap in the in the Test squad there, and, and Nokia is probably the most like-for-like replacement, so... Great to see him included in that squad. Uh, not sure if he'll play in India. You know, they're, they're, they're probably going to play three spinners, uh, which which then leaves you with Rabada and Gidi Philander probably yeah, uh, yeah. As, as as three seamers. But it'll be tremendous experience for him, you know, to go there and, and bowl in the nets on the, on the, on the subcontinent. And, um, you know, he, he's obviously already been a part of the white ball plan. So now that he's fit again, Quite right that he's he's back in the T20 squad. Uh, you know, very very exciting young fast bowler. And what what else do we know about the other maiden uh, Test call-ups in Rudy Second and uh, Senarin um, Mutusami? Yeah, well, Rudy Second uh, desperately unlucky. You know, he's been a, a prolific run scorer at domestic level, and I think just basically two days after he was named in the Test squad, he fractured his finger rather badly. Um, He's been preparing for the SAA tour, um, and it was a bad break, apparently requiring surgery. So he's out the tour, unfortunately, and, and is probably going to miss uh, the start of the domestic season as well. Okay. So Heinrich Klaassen uh, has been caught up in his place. Okay. Um, yeah, so it, it was uh, – the the extra spot was specifically for a reserve wicketkeeper batsman. Uh, so that's why – Heinrich Larson next in line uh, after Rudy Second uh, got ruled out. Uh, and Larson has a lot to prove. I mean, he, he's one of the guys who just had rotten timing in terms of having a bad for season. You know, for before sure. the start of last summer, he was very much in the protest plans in all formats. He looked like he was going to go to the World Cup. And he just chose a rotten time to lose form, unfortunately. So... Uh, lost out on all of that and, and slipped down the pecking order at test level as well. So big opportunity for him to, to uh, you know, get back into the, the forefront of the selectors' minds and uh, encouraging to see that uh, in the T20, global T20 in Canada, uh, he was the leading run scorer. So he's uh, obviously feeling good about his game again and, uh, you know, still a very talented, promising cricketer. So I wouldn't write him off and you know, he might just have a really big season coming up. Uh, well, we certainly Kutusami. wish him well. I mean, he's, he... Sorry, Pete? No, I was just saying, we certainly wish him well. I mean, I think he's always mm-hmm. uh, played played a very uh, solid uh, in a solid role for the Pro Tiers previously. So, sorry, my, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, uh, Ken. No, it's all right. Uh, yes, Senior and um is a cricketer I've actually liked for a while. Um, I think three or four years ago, I saw quite a lot of him at domestic level and he just struck me as one of those guys who who liked the tough situation that we've been talking about. Great um, Gutsy cricketer, dogged, uh, bowls slow left on spin, but also a good batsman. He's um, he's probably the guy that you know in the future could could be looked at in the sort of JP Duveny role. Okay. Uh, slightly better bowler though than a batsman, so sort of flipping Duveny a bit. Mm-hmm. That you know Duveny was obviously sure, sure. a, a, a much better batsman bowler. Sure. Uh, whereas Mujasami is a, a, a very good left-arm spinner and a, a very useful batsman. So, 
you know, he just adds extra options in, in terms of balance uh, going to India. You know, the fact that the frontline spinner, Keshav Maharaj, is also a left-arm spinner, uh, will probably limit his playing opportunities. But, you know, if anything happens to Maharaj, then you've got Dane Peters and Orphi and... and Good backup. Because I can come to play as a second spinner, as a left-armer. And you don't have the problems of, you know, making the tail too long with that second spinner. And then finally, um, in terms of the T20 squad, we've got the new face of Bjorn uh, Fortain. Um, don't know much about him, Ken. Uh, what's, what's your take on uh, Mr. Bjorn? Fantastic cricketer. Uh, really uh, been integral to the half-out line success last season. And in fact, he was named the a player of the year a couple of weeks ago. Uh, also a left-arm spinner who can bat, interestingly right. enough. Um, first really made his name in four-day cricket, though, where um, he um, bowled some really good spells for the Lions, uh, but also, you know, sort of guy who can make hundreds batting at number eight. Um, he's shared some really big partnerships uh, for the Lions down there. This, this last season, he really um, sprung into the... You know, the, into the forefront of attention though with his white ball form, uh, especially in T20s, bowling up front, uh, opened the bowling, uh, almost invariably took a wicket in his first couple of overs, kept things tight, um, and even in white ball cricket, uh, so even in 50 over cricket, right. uh, very tidy perform as well. So initially he's going to get his chance in, in white ball cricket, um, which is great. He's he's obviously feeling very confident. In terms of his bowling there, you know, he can bowl at the front, in the middle, and at the depth. Uh, he's bowled, you know, he's bowled at the depth for the Lions with success as well. So a, a great prospect, very good fielder, um, and a very useful batsman as well. So I expect uh, in coming years he, he could also come into the test conversation. Well, it, 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 it sounds all promising, uh, Ken. I mean, it really does in terms of some of these names, which may be uh, new to, to our listeners. And I say some of them I haven't come across uh, during the course of the last year or two. Always when we talk about South African squad selection, uh, as well as the, this whole question of the coaching staff that's being assembled, transformation is a big issue. Um, and if I'm looking at these squads, they certainly seem to be a very representative and well-balanced uh, team from a transformation perspective. Um, do you think that this is going to go uh, some way to um, dealing with the transformation issues which uh, affect our sport or sports across the country? I think the Proteas have done some great work over the last few years, but your thoughts on the squads from a transformation perspective? Yeah, I think Cricket South Africa have done a good job uh, in terms of transformation and I think it's because they bit the bullet quite a few years ago. Sure. You know, they, they took the decision then. It was a tough decision, a painful decision. Um, their targets had to be met. All of those players and all of those squads, I believe, are their own merit. There's not one guy that I sort of look at and think, oh, you know, a bit of a dodgy yeah. selection. Mm-hmm. Lucky to be there. They've, they've all proven themselves at domestic level. Uh, they've all been dominant performers at domestic level. And uh, I've got no qualms that, that those sides are on merit. And, uh, you know, I, I expect it to be, it's a bit like a snowball rolling down a hill that it's going to gather momentum. You know, there, there are more and more black cricketers in the pipeline who are very exciting and uh, who are going to come through as well. So I think it's going to become less and less of an issue. I think that's going to be good news going forward. And I mean, we've we've struggled. I mean, I looked at the numbers of Colpac players uh, that have taken the uh, the pounds uh, there in the UK, the South Africans who've left uh, left us for for Colpacks. 
Um, any of these names that you see on the list here that you you might be worried about uh, having their head turned by the uh, the big money from the UK? Well, this is probably the only time you're ever going to hear me say this, but thank goodness for Boris Johnson. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, Brexit as 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 awful a prospect that it is for England, um, it could be the saviour of South African cricket. Uh, because, what's it, 31st of October, um, hard Brexit, all those cold pack deals um, are no longer. Um, and I see there has even been some talk about uh, guys who, who have signed before 31st of October might even be affected. So certainly there, there we know new signings after 31st of October. Unless, of course, guys have uh, British passports. Um, yeah, understood. Yeah. You know, you, you can get the, if you have close relations. Sure, sure, uh, there will be, there will be a way. Yeah. But uh, it, it is going to shut the door to a lot of the guys. So I think Colpac will become less of a problem, hopefully. Um, so that's good news, certainly. Well, Ken, I think that sort of brings us to the conclusion of our first episode of the Night Watchman Cricketing Podcast. Um, really appreciate your take on some of these issues of reflecting on the squad selection about the India uh, challenge that's coming up. We'll deal with that in detail in our next episode. Thanks for your thoughts as well on uh, on the remarkable day of Ashes cricket that we've seen today. Ashes is alive and well. And I think as well, we'll we'll touch on some of the, the whole question of this test championship, which has come into play. All of these test matches, whether it's Sri Lanka against New Zealand, the England, uh, Australia, and now South Africa heading off to India to participate in this first test championship. That's something I think I'd like us to look at next time around. And hopefully the listeners will join us to uh, understand what it means, what the whole scoring system, and ultimately, when does this thing come to a head? How do we understand the Test Championship? That'll be something we look at together with the Indian Tour uh, in September and October. Ken, thanks so much for your time. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and we look forward to catching up with you next time around. Absolutely, Pete. Thanks very much. There's a, there's a feast of Test cricket coming up uh, just around the corner, so, so happy days, and... Uh, Thanks very much for the for the for the uh, for the time. All the best, Ken. Look after yourself.